Hej och välkommen till Mentaltrenaren podcasten. Jag är er Frank Nilsson, jag är er mentaltränare, mental sparringpartner och podcast host. Denna miniserie som jag valt att kan valt att kalla för bestig ditt Mount Everest steg för steg. Detta är er en miniserie om hur du ska besegra ditt fjäll i livet ditt. Du tar stegene och fjellet sammen med James Brumman, men han ska bestiga Mount Everest utan tillförsel av extra oxygen och det är er extremt för människor som har gjort. Vi vill höra hans träningsmetoder, hur han motiverar sig själv och inte minst vad han upplever underveis på väg mot toppen. För vi ska nämligen ha podcastmen underveis uppåt. Det är er nämligen wifi i på Basecamp. Och helt ärligt, jag kan inte fördra fel och jag är inte att gå på Everest, men det är er bara något att en mental teknik. Det kan du bruka uansett hur det är er i livet. Så där er när man hör vilken tekniker och vilka tankegång och vilka reflektioner en person som vet att gå mot världens högsta fjäll gör. För du kan nämligen bruka akkurat samma tekniken i ditt liv. Så låt dig inspirera och bruka hans tekniker när du ska bestiga din utmaning i ditt liv. Och igen, husk att mental teknik kan brukas i många olika situationer. I första episoden får du höra vilka råd han får för personer från US Navy Seals, då SAS. Vilke tekniker är han för bli mer motiverad på träning? Han börjar faktiskt att bli drivt av träningen sin. Och hör vilka tips han hittar. Och inte minst varför han ju valt att göra det han ska göra. Jag syns att det var helt absurd. Han försökte att bestiga Mount Everest i 2014. Och måste den gång bryta för att det var ras och jag minns över 20 människor omkom. Han har ökar han bara the stakes en gång till. Så välkommen till första episoden. Första av många, hur många vet jag ändå? Det kommer jag att man kommer till toppen lika. Då är er det bara länsa tillbaka och enjoy. James Bruman. We have talked before James. We have, we have. Good time. First international guest actually. Yeah. And you are the reason I just talked to uh, Mike Hamill the other day. Yes, yes. Mike Hamill, yeah. He's a super guy. I met him on Everest. Yeah, no, it's a real privilege to know him. He's he's definitely been out there and, and done done a lot of things. So, yeah. yeah, glad you guys had a good chat. Yeah, a very good chat. And he said that uh, James is a crazy person doing <laughs> doing the Mount Everest without uh, extra oxygen. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I, I think me and Mike are probably uh, we're not too that too different. I think. <laughs> oh, he said that you were a lot crazier. He wouldn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just less sensible than him. I, think. He, I don't know enough to know that it's a bad idea. <laughs> but he said something uh, other that is was crucial, James. He said that uh, you are very goal oriented, and he said that uh, since you're this goal oriented, you are locked to all the preparations. So he said that he thought you were going to do it, but he also said it was dangerous. He believed from your traits that you were going to make it. Ah, that's it's uh, it's it's always, it's always good to hear a hear an expert kind of give you some uh, some uh, some good feedback that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely agree with it. I mean, my personality. I mean, part of it's the goal, right? And yeah, well, I was talking to Mike a little while ago and, you know, about it, and you know, it, it is really hard. And you know, his view is certainly that you know, there's an awful lot of opportunity to give up um, on the way up. Um, because it, you know, it is difficult, um, and it is painful and, um, and part of the challenge of course is knowing, you know, when to actually stop because, you know, people have, have overdone it and, uh, and got in trouble. Um, but, uh, but aside from that as well, it's also about, you know, managing kind of the risks in, involved with it as well, which is the other part of my personality. You know, I, I do some of these, you know, quote unquote 
silly dangerous things you know like yeah, base jumping yes, but <laughs> but 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 at the same time right you know i'm not the sort of person that base jump is a great example of, you know there are people that you know they literally just turn up to a cliff with their skydiving parachute and sort of jump off it um <laughs> and most of the time it works yeah. but um but it's not designed to do that and sometimes it doesn't and um, whereas when i was thinking about base jumping you know i did I found the world experts. I, I did the course, you know, I made sure I knew what I was doing. I did enough skydiving. So yeah, there's risk, but I did everything I could to mitigate it because, you know, I don't want to end up in a, a big pile at the bottom of the cliff. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get, I don't want to get hurt on Mount Everest. So I, I do try and minimize what I can minimize. Um, and then at least then when I go up there, I know that, um, you know, I'm being as safe as I can so I can kind of push it harder and, and hopefully make it for the people that uh, i didn't say they did this in the, when the start of the conversation james i just jumped into it and uh what you're actually trying to do you are going you tried mount everest in 2014 but that was the year it was an avalanche is that correct that's right yeah yep, that's so exactly so, right. You, so you have to you had you had to went down again and this year you the crazy person you are you had the last time you couldn't reach the top because of an avalanche. So you just thought to yourself, ah, I go to try Mount Everest without any extra oxygen. And for people listening, it's very, 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 very common to use the extra oxygen. <laughs> so you just exactly. you just raise the stakes and just said, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it the harder way. <laughs> so yeah. that, that's what we're talking about, James. You're going to do Mount Everest now in March. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I always knew I wanted to go back. Uh, it was very much unfinished business. Um, yeah. And I, I was just thinking, I mean, the reason to try it without oxygen and you know, I'm, I'm very humble about the whole experience. And I certainly recognize there's lots of people out there that have a, a much greater claim on, on, on making the attempt, um, you know, with more experience than me and, and so forth. Um, but at the same time, I kind of look and you know, having been there, met a lot of, you know, really strong people going up there. And I, so I, I was able to benchmark myself a little bit, I suppose, in terms of, you know, I, you know what my capabilities might be. Um, and then I just kind of thought, you know, if, if there's a way of mi- mitigating most of the extra risk so that, you know, I'm not doing anything stupid. Mm. Um, you know, I, I know that if I got to the top, using oxygen and i'd found it super easy not that anybody finds it super easy but if i if i thought there was something <laughs> significant left in the tank yeah. then i would always wonder well could i have done it without oxygen <laughs> um and i know that would have kind of annoyed me right yeah, yeah. so not... um <laughs> yeah i start to know yeah. you now yes I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I believe you when you say it <laughs> yeah i mean just just know my personality on that and, um so yeah, so you know, it, it sort of got me thinking about, you know, is there a way of mitigating the risk? How how hard is it? And you know, it is very hard, and it is you know substantially more dangerous as as kind of Mike pointed out. <laughs> James, but at the same time, I, I do believe there's a non-zero chance of me making it. So you know, that motivation towards a goal that I know is very difficult. That's that's the kind of thing that sort of inspires me and, and has done in the past. So you know, I, I managed to um, you know I've, I've worked with the same. A company um, called IMG who are fabulous. That uh, they're kind of supporting me on on this as well, and we've kind of got the best minds thinking about how to mitigate the risk and and so forth. So um, you know, we we found a way that you know we can go up there and and, and give it a shot without without doing anything too silly. So 
it kind of gives me the you know that motivation now to go and train extra super doubly hard and, <laughs> and you know re- really kind of test myself and, and so you didn't see so you didn't do that see if before? I can make it. <laughs> well I, I mean i did i did but not 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 to the extent that i, I i'm training now i mean it's I, i've you know i've trained for longer much harder um not that i'm taking it more seriously but i know that the the difficulty level here is mm. is really hard i mean you, you talk to like world-class climbers and they were saying that you know you, you take one step up there and then you have to stop and take 15 breaths before you have enough energy to take the next step and even then you're fighting yourself to take that next step because you're not ready for that step after 15 seconds but if you or 15 breaths but if you don't take it you're just not going fast enough it, it really is right on the edge of what's possible but then i have um, then i have then, I, then i'm curious james because i know that you have looked into the vim health method and yes yes so uh, I'm, i know nothing about this uh, not at all <laughs> but i'm just curious because when you're doing this this crazy thing i know it's because of the height right so does yeah. this mean that when you do your exercise, in some way you have to restrict your oxygen? Uh, have you have you looked into the um, into the O2 trainer from Basruten? I, I haven't. I haven't. So there, there's there's a number of kind of thoughts and thinking mm-hmm. about um, about how to approach this whole thing. Um, interestingly enough, I, I have started doing the Wim Hof method um, to, you know. Because it, it does potentially offer some benefits in terms of cold resilience and, mm. and dealing in low oxygen. Mm. Um, I, I did start it, and um, I was kind of passing out <laughs> during the breathing <laughs> exercises. So I, I, I was always a little bit worried about, am I kind of damaging myself <laughs> during training? So you, I did you, stop you, for a you, know, you know it is possible to breathe again, James. It's, it's, you hold your breath, and then you breathe again. It's not, yeah, it's not holding your well, breath and then passing out. <laughs> well, yes and no. So the, the, the way the method works is you essentially hyperventilate first, yeah. and then you hold your breath with no air in your lungs. Yeah. Um, and part of what that does, it sort of trains your body to, to operate under these sort of low oxygen conditions. Yeah, and- but the reason you have to breathe in and out is because of the CO2 in yourself mm. rather than you're running out of air. Your body's not really good at responding to running out of air, but it's really good at responding to too much CO2 building up. But if, so, I, if I understand the Wim Hof method correctly, James, isn't it that when you breathe in all this oxygen and you breathe everything and you empty your lungs again and you hold your breath, you're actually using the oxygen in your blood. Isn't that correct? Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. exactly so, what happens. Yeah, and then I'm, then I'm curious again. I'm always curious. So if you use this method when you are high up in the Mount Everest... And you use the method to get the oxygen into the blood. Into the blood, build from my perspective, and I know nothing about this. Wouldn't that help your oxygen uh, in, in uh, the higher oh, um, above so, the sea? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, yes, no. So, so, so you know, on the mountain itself, hmm. you're already breathing basically as fast as you can go. You're already essentially hyperventilating. Okay. Because one of your body's adaptions to altitude is to actually breathe faster. Um, is it? Breathe faster? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, you breathe faster and, and deeper. So what happens is actually in the first couple of days of climatization especially, hmm. it's almost like the Wim Hof method. You're hyperventilating. Okay. Um, and your CO2 goes down. So, so, your, so your pres- blood is pressure deep. breathing, isn't that what Mark called it, I think? Pressure breathing. Um, yeah, that, that's one way to do it. So one of it is you essentially you sort of, 
you you force the air a bit harder into your lungs, so you increase the pressure in your lungs. So it it artificially changes what your body thinks the altitude is. I find it really difficult to do, to be honest. And I find the effort involved in doing pressure breathing uh, is actually outweighs the benefit I get from having more oxygen. And everybody's different. I, I know people that that use it up there, and 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 I, it just doesn't work for me. Um, but yeah, the, the, the advantage of the Wim Hof method is essentially it would train your body to deal potentially with really two O2, low O2 levels in mm. your body. Because you and I, you can never get that low just by normal breathing mm. because you're, or even holding your breath is because your body forces itself to breathe again because you have that kind of breathe reaction, right? Have, you know, if you hold your breath for a few minutes. Have you talked to him? Or? No, I haven't. No, I, uh, uh, maybe that's something that I should do. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, because exactly. because yeah. he tried it, right? But he did something with his foot, with his foot and had to go down again. Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. Yeah, so he he hurt his foot. But he tried it in his shorts. Up, up if I, if I yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely something I'm looking at. I mean, the um, I, I do sort of you know when I'm passing out in training <laughs> um, because of lack of oxygen. Yeah, I I have worries that I'm killing brain cells. <laughs> Um, it's probably it's probably a false worry because yeah, you know you, you're you're probably going to pass out way before your brain actually starts damaging itself, and of course when you pass out you start breathing again. Uh, uh, but yeah. it is very disconcerting the first few times. <laughs> so um, if, so if, we'll see. But I, I think at this point I'll I'll keep it going. Yeah. Uh, if you have looked at MMA uh, UFC and MMA uh, James, often yes yes uh, uh, very often they get choked out and you see that they pass yeah. out, but. Uh, it, at the moment, they pass out and then they get start to breathe again. And I've I've never in all the years I've followed MMA ever heard that people are getting damaged from passing out from getting uh, getting uh, choked out. And I believe yeah. that that is the same response you get from the Wim Hof method if you don't start to breathe again. But I have done this method now for at least a year. Uh, and to be honest with you, I have never passed out. <laughs> but that is oh, right, okay, that, okay. that's because that's because my alarm clock is saying, "Frank, you have to breathe now." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I don't think you have this uh, alarm bell, uh, James. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe maybe I'm just doing it a bit too hard. No, I mean I definitely see the value in it, and um, I mean when you're there holding your breath for four minutes without essentially with the empty lungs. Are, you, are you, is it four minutes you're holding your breath now? Yeah, about that. <laughs> like that. Yeah, it isn't so so strange you're passing out. But uh, what? what? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I have three minutes, and then. It's <gasps> but what's your what's your training regimen now, James? Three months before yeah, you're so going up the wrist. Yeah, so it's a kind of a mix at the moment. Um, so I'm at the end of, I guess, what you'd call the base period. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, what is the base? Looking, what's the base period? Yeah. So it's for at least for mountain climbing, what I'm doing, it, it's kind of the, well, it's, so it, it depends what sport you're doing and so forth. For mountain climbing, the way that I've done it is essentially, it's the bulk of the training bit. So, you know, you're, you're really just training your, your aerobic capacity and your, your leg strength so that you've got plenty of reserve and, and that kind of thing. Uh, as opposed to right at the, the end of the training, the last six weeks, that's really about getting out there and climbing mountains and sort of simulating what you're going to be doing. Um, because that isn't the completely optimal way of training. So you okay. can't do that all year. 
mean, it's what people used to do, but the, the thinking now is you kind of train almost like you were training for a triathlon or a, or a marathon and use mm. that kind of science. Mm. And then at the end, you sort of start translating all the fitness that you've done kind of in that general area into something more specific. So um, I've got a couple more weeks of the, the base period left and then uh, yeah, a few six weeks or so of the specific go and climb some mountains and then uh, I should be hopefully in uh, in good shape. Yeah, you say that you're training a lot like you trained before a marathon or triathlon. Have you ever heard of uh, a guy, I just read this book, uh, Travis Macy? I have not, no. Uh, his, uh, I, I can't remember his, uh, his uh, accomplishments right now, but he, I, I think his... Uh, I think he started 140 different triathlons and uh, <laughs> and 24 hour races, and he just uh, he just had to stop in one of them, he, uh, or he failed to uh, finish just one of them, wow. and then and then he broke his foot. Uh, <laughs> he has uh, he has written a book called uh, Ultra Mindset, and I wow. and I just uh, I just read his book. And I think it was marvelous. Uh, the reason I'm asking about about these persons now, James, is that. I believe the same thing you believe is that when you're going to do something pretty crazy, I would say it's pretty crazy what you're going to to try, then it's always like you do now. You're asking Mike, and he's been to Everest ten times, so he he's no he knows what he's doing. Yeah, so, yeah. Are, so I believe to reach out to every person that is the uh, expert in the field, and is that what yep. you're doing now in your preparations? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and it's something that I've. Yeah, you know, in the past I've just kind of you know made it up as I'm going along a little bit sometimes, but uh, but because because this one I think you know the risk is certainly there. Hmm. Um, the same with base jumping, but yeah, this time you know I've, I've spoken to Mike, I've spoken obviously to the the guys at IMG who are again fabulous, and you know we're working I'm working close with those and they, they those guys and they really know what they're doing. Um, but also you know like um, one of the guys that um, was actually at business school, he used to. Um, uh, he was a Navy SEAL and then sort of, I think, ran the Navy SEAL training program. So I had a chat with him about about that and kind of about mental strength. And also a, a friend of mine um, from high school days, he used to be in the, the SAS in the UK. So had a beer with him over Christmas and, again, kind of got his thoughts on it. So, yeah, I'm definitely trying to learn from the you know the folks that have really kind of been there and, and, and done that and just trying to you know make sure I'm doing the right things and understanding kind of how they approach it. Um, what does it's an interesting? What does a Navy SEAL say about uh, mental strength and how to train it? Yeah, it's interesting actually. Um, so there, there were two things that really came out of that conversation. The first thing I think would be surprising to most people. I mean, this guy is about the toughest guy out there. Right? He is he's unbelievably physically tough, um, super smart. I mean, he's an amazing guy. But you know, I talked to him what I was doing, and it was amazing. His focus on mitigating the risks and what is your backup plan and what is your backup to the backup plan okay and who are you going with and what do they know what they're doing and, and all these kind of things i um, mean that for him was by far and away um his number one concern and he he was almost more concerned about you know those risks and those questions uh, you know anybody i've talked to perhaps even more than me uh, it was amazing to kind of hear that mindset where wow. he's like you know it's not about getting out there and suffering it's about minimizing the risk so I really took away that, you know, if 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 he's super concerned and like the the level of preparation and thinking that he was even just starting to think about from on my behalf, then that's something I really should pay attention to. Does so this, there, there was there was certainly 
Does this does this mean, James, that uh, a Navy SEAL they remove the fear by uh, by uh, uh, litigating the risks? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know, but my my guess would be that you know part of that job and that training and, and being successful is really, you know, there's, it's dangerous enough, right? I mean, they're, they're going out there to do some some pretty pretty wild and difficult and dangerous things and. You know, I think being a successful commander there is all about you know having everybody come back right with the mission achieved. Of course, and I, I think you've seen kind of at least his his kind of response and that it really shows me that, that it's something that he takes incredibly seriously. What does the um, SIS guy say, James? Yeah, I mean, we we had a slightly different sort of conversation on that. I mean, um, you know, I, I talked to him about kind of his training experiences and so forth. Um, yeah, I mean. And, and, and it's actually quite similar to the the topic that um the, the second thing that my, my Navy SEAL friend was talking about, which was that I was like, well, how do you prepare yourself to go and do something like this? That is, you know, it's it's getting quite near the limit. And um, both of them really came up with, you know, through their training in, in both those special forces, it was always about right. The, the the idea is to take yourself as close to that edge as you can, so but not go over it. So you got to do it in a safe way, so that when you get to that edge and for real you kind of know what's happening so you know a lot of the, the the navy seal training program that hell week that they go through is about you know taking people to the absolute limit you know they they got hypothermia right they're literally right on the edge <laughs> they're quite literally right um yeah. but they're not gonna you know they're not gonna let them go beyond and um and both these guys and so and my friend in the sas i mean they did the sort of i think it was like a 40 hour 20 or 40 mile hike in the rain carrying some stupid weight <laughs> and my, my, my friend literally you know got hypothermia and they had to kind of um sort of rescue him patch him up and then sort of send him out the next day um you know literally pushing himself to that point but he but because of that you know you go on an operation and you're facing these conditions he now knows what that experience is like mm. um you know same my friend kind of you know, in the navy seal where he you know he, he described it as getting to the point where um you know, he'd be sitting there and he's like, you know, your body is literally saying, okay, look, j just so you know, we're about to die. So don't <laughs> get mad at me when we do, but just telling you, all right. So heads up, you know, j just getting to that kind of stage, but using it as kind of information rather than freaking out. Cause then you're like, well, okay, body, thanks for the info. I'll, I'll take it <laughs> under advisement and we'll see how it goes. Um, but it's it about kind of getting to that stage. And, you know, I think having, you know, getting to that stage safely is, is the way to do. So, you know, as part of my thinking, especially for this sort of specific training period that um, you know, I'm talking about, is it, doing that. And that, again, is part of the Wim Hof method. I'm, mm. I don't really like the cold. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I can tolerate it to, to an extent, but I don't enjoy it. But, you know, sitting in, sitting in an ice bath for 20 minutes and having people there to, you know, hoik you out if you, you know, something happens, just knowing what it's like to get almost to that hypothermia stage so that, you know, if that if it does kind of happen on Everest, then I'm kind of okay. Like, uh, thanks, body. Thanks for letting me know. Okay, maybe this time, you know, <laughs> I can tell if it's good or bad, you know, and take from there. So, so that that was kind of a, a theme that came out of those conversations. So, um, I, I never won. You know, just to, the last point in that when people say, "Oh, you should you should do your mental toughness by going hiking in the rain and all these kind of things," that never worked for me because I'm like, well, okay, I, I know I can hike in the rain. I don't enjoy it but I can do it. But every time I do it, it doesn't make me better at hiking in the rain. 
it's always about you need to kind of push that. It's like the thermometer where it's got the max temperature needle. You almost have to like, you have to push the needle further around and it kind of stays there for me. Just going up to the current max 10 times really doesn't do anything for my quote unquote toughness, but doing it once, pushing the needle around. Um, for me personally, so I find that far more effective. So um, that's just been my kind of approach. I have to ask a question, James. Uh, James, you asked me something and uh, it was something with the metal training. Do you remember what it yeah, was? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, so I, it, interesting enough, um, yeah, I've been quite good with training so far. I guess for the last six months, but I, I'm finding an interesting thing is happening now, and it, it has happened in the past. Is that I've got eight weeks to go before I leave. This is the critical time of getting out there and doing the the really kind of long weeks and hard work, and I, I'm finding it really hard to motivate and actually do what i need to do on my training plan mm. um which which i'm finding quite confusing because you know the, the fear of death is quite a motivating factor is <laughs> only getting worse as i get closer um yeah. but for some reason you know i find it hard to to get out and um and go and do my you know do you know, runs and stuff in the morning so I, i i'm kind of interested you know to get your perspective on a you know what on earth's going on in my mind here and mm. why is this happening and you know b Yeah, you know, what's you know, given your you know experience and you got tons of knowledge in the subject, it'd be great to kind of get your thought about you know how, how do I get out of this little little first down funk. First, I have to ask a question. Uh, as a person, uh, do you feel that you uh, have the pressure when you are, uh, for example, one week out? Will you be out at? Uh, will you train harder one week out, and that you know do now eight weeks out? Is do do you have that pressure? before you start to train uh, your ass off yeah it's, to an extent i usually get to the point where all of a sudden i get really scared and then i start training yeah uh, but that's usually not until the last few weeks i think i understand is... so at the moment you aren't scared enough that's the reason you don't uh, you don't feel the pressure high enough is that correct yeah i mean Be because because I, the, because yeah. the risk is now uh, eight weeks and you're going to go up to everest so I'm just curious, is it because that it's eight weeks and in the subconscious mind, you think, oh, it's, I got I got more weeks, I can add you to running tomorrow, or is, is, is that what's happening at the moment? No, I, I, I don't think so, because I've been really good at it for about probably five or six months, and, and I have been able to really stick to the training schedule, and okay. I, I don't think that that's... So, so it, it should the motivation should be going up, and it's not, and that's what's really confusing. Is is that the is that the reason you're starting to become more secure? Is that the reason? Are you starting to believe that this is possible to do, and the fear of death is going is going down again? So you are not you are uh, afraid. Is that the reason? I I don't know. I don't think so. I think maybe it's the opposite. Where you know, as I get closer, I'm realizing you know really what I've taken on, and I I think the. The uncertainty level feels like it's going up. Okay, but but I I, I think and this just something I think and the reason I'm asking you this question is uh, is that I have to understand what's what you're thinking before I can give an right, answer. Right, right. Uh, uh, and from what I know you now, James, is that uncertainty. I think you, that's something you drive. Um, you, you like this uncertainty because you have you <laughs> you sat on your bike and you traveled from Alaska to Argentina. You didn't have you didn't have a lot of planning. So it looks like uncertainty isn't the problem for you. Uncertainty yeah, is the yeah, problem. 
Is it a problem or is it not a problem? It's not a problem for you. Uncertainty yeah, is that, not a problem. So Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. So uncertainty doesn't scare you. So the uncertainty of the air, I don't think it's I don't think it scares you enough that it, it's going to motivate you. I think, from what I know you now, it, it can be it can be wrong. But I think that if you're going to motivate yourself, you f- you have to find something that something that for example I believe that you like experiences. You like adventure. Yeah. So to do it the easy way is that you, next time you're going for a jog, you can do something that brings you experience into the jogging or hiking or whatever you're doing. So, for example, if you're going hiking tomorrow, have you been hiking to the next mountain or the next forest or the next lake? Or have you been to any other places that give some more adventure? Got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, no, I mean, it's all been quite similar, really, yeah, in the last and, and few that, months. Yeah, and that's that's the key. Because as a, as a person, you like to experience new stuff. That's the reason you have been uh, running across Australia, right? And that's the reason yep. you, you cycle from Alaska to Argentina. You like to experience, you like to see new stuff. So now you have you done your same route, day out, day in and day out. And now you're getting yep. bored of the scenery and you don't get this experience. So for you to motivate yourself, you need the new experiences. So I believe got that, it, I, I believe that hiking new places or going new mountains or new lakes or I believe from what I, from what I know, from what I know, your, your, um, your, uh, human needs. Yeah, as, yeah. As, as people, you have six human needs, and one of the highest needs I think for you is that you need this experience, or you haven't done this crazy stuff you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's so true. Actually, I mean, okay, I guess that makes sense, right? Because you know, the the boredom is increasing, but the the fear is not going up yet because I'm no. not close enough. Yeah. So I, I, if it, maybe I've just reached this point where the 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 boredom factor is is kind of over overwhelming it, and yeah. that I'm not. If, it's not outweighed by the uh, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Factor. Yeah. If you if you had been one week or two weeks out, and then you really when you're starting to pack, <laughs> when you're starting yeah, to yeah. pack your bag, then the <laughs> fear is coming, yeah. and then you don't give a shit about the scenery. <laughs> then yeah, it's, then yeah. it's training. But for the next seven weeks, I believe that you have to make a plan for yourself. That okay, today I'm going to travel to this, to that mountain. Tomorrow I go to that mountain. Or yeah, yeah. I, I believe that's uh, something that can motivate you out of this rut at the moment. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Did, no, no, did, like did it make it. sense? My thinking can we... Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that's good. I mean, I, I'm going to... I'll have a think about how I can change things up. Are, are you living in San Francisco nowadays? I am, yeah. Uh, how's the scenery? How's the mountain? There's someone in San Francisco. Oh, it's good. It's good. Because uh, I, mean, it's I, do, not, in, I national, do enjoy National, national Forest... Uh, somewhere around this yeah isn't that yeah yeah we've got um so that even like there's one actually in san francisco in the presidio but then you cross the gonge bridge and there's all the mountains actually what the big mountain there called mount tamalpais is the one i i go kind of running up and down with a big heavy pack on at the weekends um it's quite it's quite quite amusing <laughs> there's a don't tell anybody but there's a, if you if you go to the top of the mountain there's a little fire hut and you'll see an enormous pile of rocks there <laughs> that I've literally been carrying from the bottom of the mountain <laughs> and back and then dropping them off. So I'm sure anybody that has to work up there is very confused right now where all these rocks are coming from. 
how much how, how much weight are you carrying up these mountains each time in stones? Do you know? Uh, it, there's probably about thirty kilos in there or something. Yeah. And then I take them out the top so I don't hurt my knees on the way down. And so I do two or three laps of that. And that's on how a, long? On a Saturday. How long? How long you say? Oh, it's probably it takes about two hours up and down. So four hours for two two trips. And then uh, then on Sunday I'll do the same thing, but I'll I'll use a lower weight, but I'll try and go much faster. So so, um, so what do you do in uh, in the in the normal days in the week in the? Yeah, so it's a combination of going to the gym. So I do two kind of strength sessions in the gym a week. Um, I do a couple of kind of sprint sessions. So one is there's a set of stairs here that is quite high. It's you know seventy meters or something. So I sprint up and down that. Um, sort of eight or ten times um yeah and then the rest is just you know a few sort of eight to ten mile runs sort of in between just to kind of keep the aerobic base going and then i do some physio and i do some stretching and some foam rolling and then some wim hof so there's a, <laughs> it's a so you're passing out a lot i understand <laughs> uh well yeah well yeah i mean it's, it's quite a lot of training i mean i guess it's you know it's you know three hours a day plus um, of kind of working out and all the extra extra bits so it's it's quite a lot but um you know that's it's always the way near the end uh, a while back i talked to a double world champion in skyrun oh wow he's a, he's a norwegian uh, and he said that uh, when he was going to compete in skyrun that's a pretty long race if i remember correctly and it's extremely steep uh, yes, yes. Uh, Skyrunning is is just up the hills, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they, and I think they they have different kind of courses, and some are yeah. ridiculously steep and a bit shorter than yeah. others. Yeah, and, like and uh, if I remember correctly, like twenty thousand feet. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, he was the world champion the, the Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> on, wow, on, on both of them. Uh, and, <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and if I remember correctly, and from what he said, the, the training in front of this is was that he um, he knew that if. It's a it's a long time to talk to him. I think he said his race for was for some hours, uh, and in, but before he did the race, at least he was running up other hills for five to six hours, and he was also yeah. running for five to six hours in snow, so that he knew that before he was going to attempt this uh, sky run, he knew that he had a lot in his tank. So when, yeah. you're, when you're going to Everest, how long do you uh, was hike or climb or each day? Yeah, so so it kind of varies. I mean, I think the the standard, you know, quote unquote day is probably sort of three to six hours to move between the camps. Um, but the summit day, you know, that's a lot longer. I mean, that's you know, twelve hours to sixteen hours, depending on on what you're doing, and potentially even longer because you go pretty slow that oxygen. So the the way I'm approaching it is I'm trying to, you know, my normal weekend workouts are in that kind of three to six hour you know, bracket, trying yeah. to carry either faster with the same weight or a much heavier weight so that it's, you know, comparatively easier on the mountain. And then one of the things that, you know, the, the guys at IMG were, were talking about was, you know, in that specific period is going up into the mountains properly here in California and, and doing a 12 to 16 hour day and just, um, you know, just getting used to, you know, what that feels like. And, and I've done them before and, but again, you're trying to just push that that needle on the thermometer a little bit further around to get your max max point around. Um, so, so I'll go and do a few few of those. You know, climb Mount Shasta, come back down, and then climb it again straight away. 
Um, I think that's probably quite good training. So how long time do you use to get up to the Mount Everest? How long time does it take? Uh, well, so the expedition we've planned out is 83 days. 83 um, days? Yeah. What? Is it two months? Yeah. Yeah, it's almost three months. Uh, it's almost three months, yeah. Three months? Yeah, so... Days. Well, because the... Yeah, so the way the way it works is so you, you take a because you can't you can't go up the the standard height gains you shouldn't really go up more than about three hundred meters a day on average. Okay. Because if the way they've done it over the years, they found that if you do go faster than that, then you have a much higher risk of altitude sickness. Yeah. So what happens? You take the first two weeks just trekking up the the valley to to base camp, and it's all quite mellow, and you have a couple of rest days here and there, and it's It's a very sort of pleasant thing. And then the way they do it on Everest, because you can't just go up on Everest, stay there for a week, go up at 300 meters, stay there, <laughs> um, especially near the top because it's too high to acclimatize. You can't recover. So the way they work is that you do what's called rotations. Okay. So the first rotation, you'll go up from base camp to camp one or camp two, stay there for a few days, come back down. And then at base camp, you can recover a bit better. And then if, a few days after that, you climb up the mountain again, but this time you'll go to camp three, for example, and you'll stay there for a few days and then camp two for a few more days and then so on. So each rotation, you're going a little bit higher up the mountain, um, but it all takes time because, you know, you'll be up on the mountain for four or five days and then another four or five days to recover in base camp and so on. So um, because I'm doing it without oxygen, you need to do another extra rotation. You're spending longer on the mountain. So you add all these things up, and by the time you get to ready for your summit bid, you've been there for 60 days. Big. And then the extra, say, 20 days are for you know, contingency or maybe a second attempt and that kind of thing. So it, it does add up. But the, the final push to the summit, that's over a three-day period. Okay. So you go up, then you go up again, and then you, you have that final big day for the summit. And that's, that's a very kind of special day. It's very kind of there's no other day like it in terms of the duration or the difficulty i think uh i asked mike the same question james what is so special about mount everest what what, what did he say i haven't actually had the interview yet <laughs> <laughs> now it's coming out on sunday but what, oh, okay. what's, what's what do you mean so special about mount everest yeah it's a good question that i mean i think it's what it represents I mean, there's the intrinsic thing that, that is awesome about it. I mean, the Kumbu Valley is a special place. It's beautiful. Um, and just being in that scenery with these, you know, colossal mountains, there aren't that many places in the world that you can sort of see that. Um, so, so and, you know, the, the culture of the Kumbu, it, it, it's a special place to be, um, you know, with or without Mount Everest there. But I think what, what's the allure of the, the mountain itself? I think for me – It's, I guess it's complicated, but if I really break it down to why am I climbing Mount Everest and especially why trying it without oxygen, it comes down to a couple of things. I think first and probably most importantly for me is the experience of it. You know, what is it like to be up there climbing in the death zone above 8,000 meters? There's not too many places that you can go and do that, right? Um, and, and Mount Everest, I think, just represents the you know, the most extreme, in some ways, version of that. No, no, it's not as hard to climb as K2, or it's not certainly it's not as dangerous as K2 or Annapurna or, any, or some of these other mountains. Um, but have it we, is the highest, right? Have you so, tried K2? No, 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 uh, definitely not. I mean, it's, you know, 
the problem with K2, as an aside, is that there's, there's an immense amount of what's called objective hazard on K2, okay. like stuff that can kill you yeah. with it not being your fault. Yeah. Um, it, it is a phenomenally dangerous mountain. Um, the weather's appalling almost all the time. It's steep. There's no safe places, avalanche, and so on. So you take a big risk. I mean, very, nobody really climbs it more than once, right? It's, if you manage to get to the top and back down in one piece of K2, you're... Uh, yeah, you, you're usually happy. You, you're Everest is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's only a few hundred people that have climbed it and, and all have been exceptionally strong, you know, almost all professionals. So, no, it, I mean, it's very much, you know, I, I give a lot more, you know, I guess kudos to people that have climbed K2. Yeah. Just because, I think because they take a risk that I almost wouldn't be willing to take. So I, that's almost like the last mountain you, you try, you know, because it, it really is the culmination of everything. Everest is a bit different, right? I mean, it's it's technically easier. It's certainly not a walk up. Um, you know, it is steep, but it is not ice climbing. Um, but look, it, it is the highest mountain. I mean, you 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 cross the what's called the Cornish Traverse. It's like at eight thousand seven hundred meters, and you know, it's the most exposed ridge on earth. You have a mm. six thousand foot drop on the left and an eleven thousand foot drop wow. on the right. And it's the you know the edges. It's a foot wide, right? So. Um, there's very few places you can experience that and and I, I think it's that lure to really seeing what that's like rather than just reading about it i, I think is a, is a big big driver for me and it it does come a little bit down to that edmund hillary you know why are you climbing because it's there <laughs> i think it's really i think it's really about you know the experience and then also you know it's partly the challenge and you know it's not so much you know hey look at me i've, I've done everest I, I don't really care about that but i am interested to see like what am i capable of and in some ways, it does represent that ultimate test because it is the highest. Um, uh, and now you are the third or fourth guest I have, uh, James, that either are going to Everest or have been to Everest. And to be honest, I hate heights. I really hate <laughs> heights. And uh, when I said this to Mike, I hate heights too, and just laugh. <laughs> uh, and But when I hear all these stories, you're to- uh, you're all talking about Everest and this yeah this high mountain on this view and and to be honest with you i'm getting really curious and before i started to talk to all of you i i I have never 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 thought about going to a mountain never ever 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 (laughs) but now (laughs) i start to get extremely curious what is so special about this mountain because when it's for four people they were saying the same about the same mountain, then it is something special about it. And then my curiosity meter is just going high wire. What is this about yeah, this yeah. mountain? <laughs> it is, I mean, it is, a, it, it is a unique place because, you know, it's got that special history and obviously with mm-hmm. Mallory and then Edmund Hillary and so forth. And you do feel that when you go out there and it, you know, even, even like you meet some people up there that you sort of think, well, I, I, I saw you in a film or, you know, I read, I read oh, a book. Or, or, or you're the or, guy that. Are there any actors, famous actors? Well, not so much that. You know, like, <laughs> so, and we, we saw it. There's a chap called Dave Breeches up there who was, you know, he's in the Into Thin Air book and he filmed the first big IMAX documentary. And, Ooh. you know, it's quite, quite famous. And he's just kind of wandering around in base camp. And we, we sort of saw him in the, the hotel in Namchi Bazaar, which is the town up there, and had a few beers with him. And you saw, and, you, and there are sorts of world class climbers that you sort of just end up walking past. And, it's it's a weird little um so it's also the right uh, word. So it's a very social experience, I understand. Well, uh, to an extent. I mean, it is social within your your team. 
yeah. very much so, right? Because you spend a lot of time with them. Um, you don't tend to meet that many people from other teams um, just because of how it's kind of set up. But I mean, at the same time, you know, within your group and your 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 team, you, I mean, you make some really special bonds and, you know, you're all trying to do this, this difficult thing together. And um, I mean, I, I still talk with a, a number of people on my team and, you know, they're, they're great friends of mine. And, you know, I met Mike through that whole experience as well. How many um, how many is on, is it on our team, James? Well, it, it kind of varies on how you're doing it and so forth. Anywhere between a team of one all the way through to, you know, they have groups of probably six to eight, um, and then sometimes you'll have a larger group but with more guides. Usually, the guide ratio is kind of that four to one to six to one. Plus, everybody has their own climbing Sherpas. So again, you you form a bond with the Sherpas as well. Hmm. Um, So yeah, it just very much depends on kind of the the approach that, that you, you take. But they're, they're not huge groups. Are you going Are you going to eat Nutella this uh, trip, uh, James? Same, same <laughs> as to Australia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely going to be taking some <laughs> Nutella up there. The only problem is that when it's really cold, Nutella freezes as hard as rock, so it's, it's quite it's quite difficult to uh, to get out the jar. But no, I'll, I'll definitely take my uh, my one tub of comfort Nutella. So, um, so what are you what are you bringing as food up to the mountains? Yeah, well, so actually, so one of the 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 good benefits of going with one of the guiding companies, you know, they they organise all of that oh. for you, which saves an enormous amount of hassle, logistics, and everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they have they have cooks up there and so forth. So the food's really good. Um, they also um, have uh, sort of the secret tent you go into where they um, they keep all the goodies, so mm. all the snack bar. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't know. I always wondered what I just thought they caught like kept equipment in there and they took us in there just for our first climb and there's all these big boxes of, you know, like Snickers bars <laughs> mounds and all these things and it was like, you know, a kid in a candy store and you're allowed to take it. Ladies and yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's really it was really good. So um yeah, so a lot of it I you know the rest of it is more specific to me, like, you know, taking some of the you know, the energy drink powders and, and that kind of stuff, just yeah. the the things that you know, more for summit day when you know it's hard to actually eat properly because there's no oxygen to digest anything so there's another concern you got to figure out so there, there's some of that but by and large they kind of take take all the uh, all they all that thinking and, and, and logistics is done for you which you know you, you could argue you know, people like don't you know they some people don't like the idea of going in these commercial expeditions but fundamentally one of the big things they really do is logistics and, yeah. and and food and all that kind of stuff which just makes it just a much uh, easier experience and it's, and it's the same accomplishment so i agree with you 100 james yeah I, to an extent. i mean you certainly couldn't i mean that's why i'm quite you know a lot of humility about it because you certainly couldn't do it without the help of everybody up there and certainly the, the sherpa community i mean it would be impossible for somebody like me to to do it without their help so yeah i'm definitely always super grateful and you know to try and make you know their lives you know better and i actually what one thing i was talking to mike so he's actually um uh started a non-profit um in this last month that he's been working on for a couple of years to um called uh tigers of the snow yeah it's all about but that. um yeah he's a yeah so he's he's there kind of you know trying to help the communities the sherp community and then some of other, uh, img's other communities in in africa for kilimanjaro and so forth oh, cool and um, working kind of education for kids and stuff so um Yeah, you, you'll find with the climate community that there's a lot of, you know, we, we certainly appreciate the Sherpas and, you know, 
you know, massively, right? And, yeah. and, and want to give back. So, yeah, you know, I always push back a little bit when you hear about, oh, we're exploiting them because I, I, I don't think that's the case at all. No, I talked to him about it. One, one man's view. Uh, it's very good to hear that uh, the sharpers are getting getting taken care of. Uh, I think it was extremely interesting, James, to have I talked to you now eight weeks before you're traveling. Uh, and yeah, I, and, it's and always I, a pleasure, Frank. And I hope you have the time for a little chat before we go to the mountains. Because we talked about having a little chat when you're going up, up the mountains, uh, if it's possible. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I know. I'd, l- I'd love to do that, and uh, hopefully, maybe we can sort something out for when I'm in base camp. Which they yeah, don't have that's, oh, that is very interesting because <laughs> I, I, I thought about something. Is that I believe that if we can talk to you just for a couple of minutes when you're going up this mountain, I believe that other people listening can also think about how they can reach their Mount Everest because all every people have their obstacles. All of us, right? It's just it hasn't it just hasn't been about Everest. It can be uh, start a new job, or it can be start or moving to another city. Everybody have their yep. own Mount Everest. So I believe yep. that some of your strategies and some of your techniques when you're going to Everest, people can use in their lives. So I hope you have we have the possibility to get to some small chats when you're going out the mountains. But yeah, be- no, I'd enjoy that immensely, yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. But before you're going uh, traveling, James, uh, to Everest, we're going to have a little chat. So, uh, yes, I hope you now uh, get your motivation back for your training, that you're going yep, to see yep. some new sceneries, and uh, wish you best of luck for the next seven weeks before I talk to you again. Fantastic, yeah, and thanks very much, Frank, I appreciate the uh, the advice, and oh. uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go put it into action. All cool, James. <laughs>